Um, some good news came uh, from, I believe it's Lennon, England yesterday. Researchers say they've found the uh, a drug, and it's quite an affordable drug, and it's the first evidence that a steroid called called dexamethasone can improve survival of seriously ill COVID patients. It reduced deaths by up to one third. That's pretty good news. Dr. Suman Chakrabarti is an infectious disease specialist at Trillium Health Partners. He joins the show now. Welcome to the program. Good to have you on. Thanks. Good to be back. Well, can you tell me what uh, dexamethasone is normally used to treat? Yeah, so dexamethasone is uh, one of these uh, steroid medications, uh, what we call it's a really, really potent anti-inflammatory. And the most common situations we use it here is, for example, if people come in with things like uh, brain tumors or the significant inflammation on the brain, we often give this medication to help to reduce the inflammation quickly. Another situation that we sometimes use in infectious diseases is if somebody has a certain type of bacterial meningitis, a very severe infection of the brain, we will sometimes use this potent anti-inflammatory along with antibiotics to help uh, make sure that the uh, situation isn't as uh, is too severe. So we use it in a lot of situations and there is a precedent for using it in infections. Okay, so this is a steroid that's used in extreme cases. That's right. That, that's exactly right. And is it is it taken uh, intravenously or orally? How's it ingested? It can be either way. It can be either in a pill form or IV. Usually uh, we give it to it uh, orally if we can, which makes it actually quite uh, attractive in a situation where somebody can take a pill because it's cheap and you don't need extra equipment. And part of the, the big um, problem with uh, trying to figure out COVID-19 and what systems it's going to hit is we're learning that it is, um, it's also a vascular disease. So would this speak to that component of the disease? Yeah, so one of the things, and we talked about this last time as well, is that we're seeing a propensity for COVID-19 to uh, help, uh, not to help, but to attack vasculature, but this is on the basis of inflammation. So that's the, the reason why uh, using a steroid sometimes you, we see in situations with severe infections, it's interesting that the immune system, when it's activated to try to fight the infection, it actually mm -hmm. activates too much, and that ends up resulting in too much inflammation, which paradoxically makes the person sicker, and that's why people thought, hey, let's try try dexamethasone to see if it helps. And is this hopeful news in your opinion, a major breakthrough? It is, although I will put one caveat, and I have been doing this uh, with any of these types of releases, is that we want to see the data uh, in, as infectious disease specialists. We have some good preliminary data, and it's certainly promising. If this works, it's going to be, it is going to be a breakthrough. But we've had a couple of situations with research uh, that has not qu quite been up to par in the last couple of uh, weeks, uh, and things had had to be retracted. So once we see the evidence, uh, and if it's, if it's robust, then I think that this could be a very, very big intervention. I think one thing we need to say is it doesn't appear to help less ill patients. This is for severe patients. So um, this is a global disease. Should we start stockpiling dexamethasone or is it fairly easy to get a hold of? It is fairly easy to get a hold of, although, of course, uh, if you have a worldwide stockpiling that's going to uh, likely result in some shortages, that, that these medications, dexamethasone and other steroids, are things that we use quite commonly for many other conditions in medicine. But I think that before we start to you know, really run toward dexamethasone, I really want to be a little bit cautious and wait for the full data to come out before we make an informed decision. 
All right. Um, Markham has been given the green light to enter phase two of reopening. The mayor has called on the province to make masks mandatory because they have a really great COVID numbers and they want to keep them low. Here's what the premier had to say. I'm going to play some audio here. Have a listen. And I highly, highly recommend you go outside um, and you're in, in large groups, you're in shopping uh, centers, wear a mask. But the police, 14 and a half million people would be very, very difficult. We just don't have the manpower manpower for uh, bylaw and, and uh, police officers to be chasing people without masks. All right. So he's saying this is going to be hard to police. Looks like he doesn't feel, uh, he being the premier, doesn't feel that a mandatory masks are something that he is going to insist upon. As an infectious disease specialist, where do you sit on the issue? How important are masks in continuing the downward trend of positive COVID cases and avoiding that second wave? I do think masks are certainly part of this, and I think it's something that we have to especially consider in situations where it's difficult to socially distance. So, for example, you know, if you're in uh, uh, public transport, as we saw here in Toronto, uh, where the TTC has uh, uh, asked for masks to be used. But I also share his um, uh, views, as well as many other infectious disease specialists, that I think that they should be highly encouraged. But, you know, to make them mandatory and something that is going to be very difficult to enforce is part of the reason why I don't think they should be mandatory. Mandatory. The other thing, too, there's certain situations like, for example, Thunder Bay, they have zero cases and I've had zero cases for several days. So masks might not even be doing in, anything in that situation. Uh, so I think that we have to remember that if we do uh, make something mandatory, there could be unintended consequences and we have to be very wary of that. Dr. Chakrabarty, you brought up the uh, physical distancing. When you look around the globe, it seems like there's an inconsistency during this pandemic when it comes to physical distancing recommendations. In Canada, it's two meters. U.S. is 1.8. Italy and Germany are one one and a half. France is a meter. We are starting to experience some um, fatigue, pandemic fatigue, I'll call it. Are, are we being overly careful with our two meter distance here in Canada? Yeah, well, there is a little bit of a spectrum. As we know, the reason the two meters is there, at least in Canada, is that uh, that if you uh, end up looking at the distance that these droplets can travel before they fall to the ground, if you're at two meters, you're actually pretty safe. Now, if you're at one meter, you're probably still safe, but less so. So it's, it's a bit of a spectrum. So I think also you want to try to keep these recommendations very simple and uh, in a way that's going to work for most situations. And I think that once you start to now, you know, I've, I've seen some recommendations where they're saying kids can be... Uh, closer. You know, we have to be pragmatic about things. I like keeping a simple recommendation, two meters. It's safe for most situations and it's pragmatic as well. Okay. We don't even have to keep that two meter distance when you're talking about your social circles of 10, which the province dropped on us last Friday. They said you can have a social circle of 10 people, but it cannot expand beyond 10. Those 10 stick together. You can't be in anybody else's 10. Um, you should carefully consider who's in that 10 because this is a group with whom you can resume somewhat normal interaction with. How risky is it to invite frontline workers into your social circle at this stage of the pandemic? Yeah, and that's a big thing. It's something that I've been thinking about myself. I call this a recruiting for my team, my social bubble team. And uh, we do certainly have to consider those those situations and not just frontline healthcare workers. Anybody who's working a frontline job where you're in a constant uh, uh, contact with the public. So it has to be considered sometimes in these situations 
for example, what I've done is that in my social bubble, you know, with my family and, uh, you know, for example, my in-laws, when we're uh, close, I do tend to keep the two-meter distance just so because um, I know that I'm a bit of a higher risk. Although one thing we do know is that the best thing that I can do to protect my family is be careful when I'm at work and use the proper PPE and all of the uh, physical distancing hand washing. So it's something certainly to consider. It does not preclude the, the addition of somebody so you're not doing a sleepover at your family's cottage or anything? Well, you know what? I, I, I would, I'm, that would be really nice, actually. Uh, but I would do that. Uh, but I would say that I would stay. I w- I'm still, um, you know, in contact with my immediate family, but I would likely stay away from people that we're adding to the team for now. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Chakrabarty. It's always a pleasure having you on the program. And I think uh, very helpful when it comes to breaking down some of these stories in the news. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thanks Have a lot. Have a great day.